you know, a professional marketer is a, a lot weaker than an amateur enthusiast in community building. I didn't want to choose that platform based on my own preferences because you know what, you know, this is your your community. Where do you want to go? Um, and I listed the options. Uh, of You're listening to Precious on Community, a Seedcamp podcast. All right. Well, welcome everybody to the latest episode of the Precious on Community podcast, the show where we're sharing learnings and advice from people in the trenches on what it takes to build and sustain a healthy community that will help your organisation and its members meet their goals. Today, I'm so pleased to be joined by Hang Lee, curator of the Recruiting Brain Food community. I'll let him tell you more about what he's building and who's involved. But before we really uh, get into you and who you are as an individual, Hung, tell me, what is one community that you really admire that you didn't build? Oh, wow. You throw a curveball at me straight away, Precious. Thank you very much for uh, firstly having me on the show and for also putting me on the spot. That's amazing. Um, yeah, there's loads of communities out there that I obviously didn't build. Um, the ones in which I enjoy participating most in, um, I would say there's a community called True, uh, which is a really uh, one of the very first communities that are in the staffing and HR industry, um, which I think began that movement of having a lot of peer-to-peer type connections, a lot of the the thing like very loose, very open, very democratic. Um, those types of things were inherent in that community. And that's been a, a, a real uh, benefit, I think, to anybody who's been involved in it. So I admire that institution. I admire that community. So the true community in the recruiting space, for sure. Yeah, we know the true community very, very well. They're very uh, close to the Sea Camp family. So great to have them plugged. Okay, so Hung, tell me about recruiting brain food. Sure. How did it start? Oh, no. How did it start? Very simple. Um, I mean, I was a, I mean, part of the reason why I was interested in chatting with you, Precious, is because I've, I very much identify with the uh, people at C-Camp, uh, particularly early stage founders and you know, individuals that are building products, but then thinking, how do you, you know, have a better relationship with your audience rather than just selling uh, to those people? You know, can you build a more equitable relationship with the people that you're, you're, you're servicing? Um, and, uh, I built a, uh, a tech recruiting platform called Workshape um, and Workshape was a matching product trying to match software engineers to rapid growth uh, tech businesses. And, and really from the get-go of that, um, I realized that what I wanted to do there was to create a community-based uh, product and business. In other words, a business that would interact with the uh, uh, buyer audience in a totally different way. I didn't want to treat them as a bunch of people I was just going to send, uh, you know, uh, sales messaging to. I wanted to really have uh, connections with them. Um, And recruiting brain food sort of emerged from that. It's since now taken on a life of its own. Um, But it really did begin as, hey, listen, is there a way in which I can connect with this audience that I want to sell services to, but do so in a non-salesy way? 
Um, and, you know, uh, the newsletter, it began as a newsletter, really emerged from that, you know, let's send them uh, a, a vendor agnostic newsletter, give them a bit of value and inspiration for the week ahead. Um, and then maybe, you know, by building a relationship with them that way, uh, they'll be more receptive to having a conversation with me, um, you know, when it came down to, you know, promoting a product. Awesome. So it was really about adding value before you then provided the product that you wanted to sell into that community. Yeah, yeah. build the community before you need it, basically. Um, you know, I think one of the things that most companies get wrong is they do it the other way around. Um, and they kind of see that, you know, community is just a, a, another place where you could, you know, send some marketing collateral into. Um, uh, whereas what you really want to do is build the community really in advance of product. Um, uh, you know, you need to do the product building and community building at, at, at least on parallel, if not, yeah. you know, community first. Yeah. So, I mean, when you, yes, I mean, so you started this newsletter and I guess at the beginning, it was an audience, right? You were providing them with a lot of information. Talk to me about how you converted an audience where they're just listening to you into a community where they started to support each other. Yeah, right. So very good question, Precious. Um, I mean, I think when you put yourself in a position as a provider of value, quote unquote, um, it's actually a lot of pressure. Um, uh, you know, you, you a, a lot of people, you know, will feel, my goodness, what am I going to say this week or what am I going to say this month? I've got nothing to offer, you know, uh, and at some point, that's right. You will not have nothing to say and nothing to offer. So um, uh, inevitably, that becomes the case. Very obviously, if you study any communities or are part of any community online, which, you know, I think most of us are digitally connected and we're probably participants of different groups and so on. Uh, very quickly, it becomes obvious that the best communities are the ones that are able to surface up uh, value from within the network itself and not having one person broadcast through. So that was always kind of the thought process behind this. Let's start off with a newsletter. Um, let's add value there, but maybe I can build um, a, a, a good enough a, a set of relationships with those early subscribers and we can uh, potentially move them into different places where they could speak to each other. So um, always part of the plan. Um, it wasn't really a hard plan. I think, you know, if you're a super professional with it, you might be able to design it and say, yeah, you know, month six will be like this and month nine mm -hmm. will be here. Um, and maybe community building as a, as a, as a discipline, you know, if it ever becomes a thing uh, as a profession and we're starting to see people being, you know, professionalized as community organizers, community builders as a job, right? Here so I am. You, yeah. Well, precious, here you go. You probably have like targets right in the calendar. We need to be at this point. Um, for me, that was never the case. It's always been an amateur operation. Um, uh, but the, uh, disadvantages of that, it wasn't particularly quick, but the advantages of it was that it was fairly organic. So in other words, where, um, they uh, had a sense that, you know, the community wanted to speak to each other, you know, when we had like 10,000 people there, so many brains in there, why should I be the bottleneck? Um, uh, you know, you actually, you shouldn't be, it actually becomes a, an obligation for you to cr try and create a space where they can connect with each other and talk without you being the filter. Um, and so the online community happened. Um, obviously, the webinars, the podcasts, that's another way to talk to the audience. Um, the, the live stream, actually, Brave Food Live, which you know been doing every week now for about two and, a, two and a bit years, that started not as a broadcast. It started off as a community chat. Um, uh, what I wanted yeah. to do was to 
just sit in front of my computer for an hour every week and just take, you know, hey, you want to talk to me? Great. Come on screen and let's have a chat. Um, turned out no one was wanting to do that. <laughs> and People um, were a bit shy. Back then, pre-COVID, yeah, like no one, no one had cameras on at that time, right? It was like, you know, we, we probably have forgotten how default, like sticking on the camera on these days. But even 18 months ago, it was something you had to set up. Um, and with Brave Food Live, it was just me having a chat typically with Adam Gordon, who's a friend of mine who's happy to engage in the experiment. Um, but the concept was let's bring on brain fooders um, in the audience as they were, you know, as we were talking, yeah, do you want to have a chat precious? Come on screen, that kind of thing. Um, but no one did it, um, simply because they were too shy, weren't prepped. Um, and then we decided, okay, we have to actually just do a more standardized, you know, uh, interview style, uh, mm. a video webinar or video, a podcast, should we say, um, and, uh, and it's yeah, emerged from that, but it was always an idea. Let's talk to the community. That's the key. Um, you know, don't just broadcast at them. You got to speak with them and you got to get them, you know, uh, speaking to each other and getting them elevated and stuff like that. Amazing. So talk to me about the segmentation then of this community, because you have a podcast, you have the newsletter, what other channels are you using to allow the community to then speak to each other? And how did you get them off the ground? Yeah, so one of the things I've learned in doing this is that um, going multi-channel is the smart thing to do, um, simply because um, any one channel is a, is a huge uh, uh, dependency. Uh, you know, if you've got a really powerful newsletter, let's say, that's all well and good. But, you know, what uh, a few email changes that Google might make um, in terms of how they, you know, filter out, you know, a mass email or whatnot can really hammer the value of that email service. Um, and you just never know, you know, let's say you know, the, the government might change how emails should be sent, let's say GDPR a couple of years ago, you know, stuff like this can really just change the game. So multi-channel is definitely something any community builder needs to think about. Um, you know, you start with one channel, but bear in mind there's other places and other methods in which people might want to communicate. Um, and you need to be the, the provider of those. Um, the, the, the advantage you have if you have a powerful channel is that it becomes easy to, uh, easier to uh, create a successful community in different channels simply because you can import them in um, to other, other places. Example would be actually I started a new news, news letter. So I've got two new letters now which most people think, oh, that's stupid. Why are you doing it? Guess what? A lot of things I do are particularly stupid. Um, <laughs> or, or at least they're not like, like scientifically thought out. Um, but I did it. And you know what? There was like 10,000 subscribers within the th first two issues um, of this new newsletter. Um, wow. And that wouldn't have happened without there being like an active community in the other channels because I could point them to the new place. Um, so why did you choose a second newsletter and not, for instance, a Slack channel where you drop bulletins every week? Um, the choice of medium is quite important based on where your community typically uh, or habitually inhabits, I think. Um, so I think Slack makes amazing sense for most people in Ccamp because, you know, you, you're speaking to startup folks, you're speaking, you're speaking to people that are really digital enabled. I'm sure 99% of the people listening to this podcast will have Slack open all the time. 
Um, but guess what? Slack's still pretty startup um, and it's still pretty much tech. Um, uh, the entire world out there in terms of the people that sit in front of computers and do office work, most of them don't have Slack. Um, they don't use Slack. Um, we actually did a survey on this because I was a Slack user, obviously. Um, and I surveyed the community to say, oh, we're going to do a community, folks. Um, we're going to get a place where you can talk to each other, uh, but we need to choose a platform to do it. I didn't want to choose that platform based on my own preferences because you know what, you know, this is your your community. Where do you want to go? Um, and I listed the options uh, of Slack was one of the, the options listed. It came in number two as the second most popular, but a very much a distant number two. Um, I think 10% said Slack, uh, over 90% said private group on Facebook. Um, Facebook? In Facebook, yeah. Um, uh, and that's where I decided to place the Brain Food online community onto a, a private group on Facebook. Amazing. That's really interesting, actually, to think about the ways in which you took the time, obviously, to speak to your community and then obviously respond. Because I think that's where a lot of people also fall down in terms of if you ask your community something, ultimately, you have to execute on it if you want to maintain their trust. Um, yes and no. Um, <laughs> the answer is yes, you should. But you should. You, you, they also trust you as well. And you've got to trust yourself. Um, so I would say if you're a community builder or a community organizer, uh, you can't just be uh, like a uh, like a delivery boy for the community vote because um, mm. the community might end up voting for something that's actually a really bad idea because uh, they haven't thought it through or they haven't sort of uh, they, they they don't kind of uh, they're not seeing it from the big picture view they're seeing it obviously from their own uh, point of view so you do still have that responsibility of making a decision sometimes against their will. Um, but in this case, it made no sense. It made no sense to force them into a channel where very clearly they didn't use it, because um, you want the community to be active. Um, and in order to do that, that the place where they, uh, that the where you choose to place it needs to be some place where the members themselves just automatically will switch on every day anyway. Um, so most reasons why communities fail, I think, is the choice of platform is significant. They end up trying to create it in a different place that forces people to change their flow and startup folks, you would know what I mean by this. You don't ask a user to change flow. Um, you, know, you need to have an extraordinarily value proposition if you're trying to do that. Uh, what you need to do is to keep them in their flow and then add value somehow doing that. Turned out that most of the people I'm speaking to do use Facebook every day. Probably most of us do anyway still, even though, you know, we've, we've turned down our, our efforts to using it. Um, uh, but um, uh, that was just surprising to me, the, the dominant option. Um, almost not, nothing else got votes apart from Facebook groups and Slack. Um, and I think the, the other options were very, very like one or two votes each. Um, we're talking about LinkedIn groups. We're talking about WhatsApp groups, you know, different places where you can communicate. Um, so yeah, it was a clear winner and that was the, the obvious choice. It's really, that's doubly interesting actually, because for a talent community, I would have thought that actually LinkedIn would have been more, more, um, exciting for them than Facebook, but the people want what the people want. And I take your point about it's true needing to think for the community as well as building with the community, which are both equally important. Absolutely. And I guess. My next question then is, how do you manage such a large community? Because the initial newsletter has 24,000 so 24, 
on the initial newsletter, 10,000 on the second newsletter, and then you've got about 4,000 in the Facebook group at the moment? Yeah, about 4,000 in the Facebook group. Um, so, so management of it is, is actually something you do need to think about as well. So this is not the first time I've managed a group, which it really helped, um, I have to say, um, because the first thing I realized is that what you have to do is to get the group to self-manage as much as possible. Um, and in order to do that, uh, you have to really nail your uh, values, like what is the group for? It's very difficult to create an online space without a rationale for it um, or without kind of a, like what does the community member get by showing up at this place? Um, you know, it's like exactly. you setting up a bar someplace, Precious, right? Let's say you set up a bar. You can't just say, yeah, come here, drink alcohol. Like there's a zillion places where you might go there and drink alcohol. You need to go and like create a reason for being. And the reason for being might be, you know what? You go to Precious's bar on Fridays. You're going to get a jazz bar there. It's going to be the greatest artist. It's going to be an amazing time, right? So you create some sort of thing that draws this person there. Um, so I think having the value is really there really critically important too many businesses set up communities purely for commercial reasons and think right this is there really to to kind of create an environment where we can soften up these or warm up these uh, buyers and then hit them with a sale um yeah exactly that's not going to go anywhere because no one likes to be uh, baited and switched in that way um uh, 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 what you want to do is to have just a va- like what does your product do for instance um uh, you know what is the value you're offering um uh, typically that will uh, uh, uh it may be directly related to the value prop of your product uh, which would encourage people to come in or it may be adjacent to it um, and that would still work good example would be something like dropbox um, everyone knows Dropbox. What, they, what are they? They're basically a file storage, file sharing tool, right? Super yeah. boring, but super useful. Um, however, they realize they can't create a community around file storage. <laughs> you know, it's like not enough there to draw people in. It's too like utilitarian for them to, to do that. But they yeah. did realize that, you know what? Everyone right now cares about workplace culture. Everyone right now cares about how we're going to deal with remote. So they've simply staked out space to say, we're going to be the leaders in discussing um, how the world of work is changing. Um, and if you go on dropbox.com uh, right now, you're not seeing like loads of like sales literature. You're seeing like their amazing blog, which tells you all of these fantastic essays, great resources, wonderful things that anybody who's a, a, a digital professional would really be interested in absorbing because it's all about my working life. And they know um, that, of course, this worker is also likely to be a customer of Dropbox in some way. Um, so that's a good example of a, of a business that's managed to create um, an, an adjacent uh, a con- bit of content, an adjacent community from their utilitarian product. Lots of companies are in this position because you might be delivering a product or service that, you know what, it is, it's brilliant, but it's, people aren't going to go around and, and, and uh, it's, uh, people aren't going to identify as a person that is uh, committed to that particular service. Um, so you can do it, but think about the adjacent side of it. Yeah, I think that's a really strong point in the B2B and B2C space, because not everything has to point people directly to your product. It just has to add value in a way that also helps people understand the link between 
your product and your community, which is excellent. So you've identified purpose and vision, I guess, as one way of managing a community. But when you get to 4,000 within a Facebook group, how do you ensure that conversations stay on track? Do you have additional moderators or how does it work for you? Um, so no additional moderators. So, so everyone uh, kind of has their own play. And one of the, the main thing that you need to think about is what are the resources you've got internally to do this. Um, and for especially me, when for sorry, I was just going to say, especially when for early stage founders, you know, you've got very limited resource. One hundred percent. And so the well, stuff I'm saying is like, okay, um, not everyone is going to be wanting to able or wanting to do well, exactly what I've done. However. I'm kind of running this as a one-person show anyway. So my entire experiment with Brain Food is to, can you run it like Tim Ferriss would run it? Um, uh, okay. You know, no, no employees, no nothing. Can you run it entirely solo? Answer is you can. Um, but the main thing you've got to think about if you are running solo is that you've got to set clear rules and then just, you know, you have to be a bit of a badass and, and, and kind of enforce them. Um, so, uh, the quickest way in which communities will get uh, corrupted, um, is through essentially bad behavior from certain members, um, i.e. members come in and try and sell to other members, right? Um, or they would constantly just promote their own stuff and do all of this uh, horrible type of stuff. Not horrible. It's more, you can understand the motivation. You might be motivated yourself to do that, but that's not why people have come to your, a bar right let's imagine the bar again yes i'm setting up the friday bar if you precious that's amazing but you know what every single minute i get some dude walking around trying to sell me dvds or something that's pretty that's pretty soon going to deter my clientele because they're going to say this bar is not taking care of these these intruders that are basically detracting from my experience of this bar what is so, so funny is that I actually used to work in a bar just for six months during my uh, during my master's. But yes, there was someone who would come in often trying to sell, I think it was like bracelets or something. And we really had to be strict and like, no, you can't come in. <laughs> you can't come in. That's right. And you've got to be strict with members as well. You know, if members don't behave. So there's only three rules within the Brain Food Online community, right? Um, and the three rules are just universally applied. And that, that's caused some difficulty sometimes. But the universe, the rules don't mean anything unless they are universally applied. Um, so the first rule is, look, you can't promote, you can't post anything of your own content. Um, mm -hmm. Like if you've written it, you can't post it. Simple as that. Um, and it doesn't matter how good it is. Um, it really doesn't. Um, it's, you know, it could be the gospel. It doesn't go in. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it simply won't. And the, the reason why this is important is because if you allow one or two of these to go in, then everyone's going to want to try and do the same. Um, and then you're in a situation where you're editorializing what is good content or not. Um, and you don't have time to do that. Um, yes. So, so you're saying, you're the purpose of this group, so again, uh, using the bar analogy again, the purpose of the group that I've set up on Brain Food is we're here to discuss interesting content that with, with, with your peers, like interesting topics that you've encountered during the week. This is the place where you can have an open conversation with people around this. Could be any topic that's related to recruiting or HR. That's it. But number one rule is you can't share your own stuff. That's it. Um, and if you do... I don't remove that. I would publicly comment on your post and say, we don't allow you to post your own stuff. Can you remove it, Precious? Um, and it will stay up there until you do remove it. 
Um, uh, and in, in almost every case, the reason why I do that publicly is to make sure, again, that I'm not in a position where I'm constantly having to delete stuff. I need the original offender to recognize the offense and correct that offense. Um, and then they're, they're never repeat it again once they've done that. Um, so it's almost like you've got to teach. I don't know whether you're a parent, pressure's way too young for that. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, not yet, not yet. But it, it's kind of like you can't just like beat on the the child. You got to like teach why this person, why that's a transgression. Not because you're a badass or a horrible person. It's because that's the rule, and basically, it's universally applied. And people respect the fact it's universally applied. If you start picking and choosing, you know, because I like this person more and I'll let this slide, that's when it starts becoming corrupted and people will start disrespecting you and rightly so. So universal application of uh, the rules. Um, uh, uh, I think that's it. That's the only rule that there is. There's other stuff like obviously be polite, obviously be respectful, you know, intolerant to abuse or anybody who is, you know, uh, doing direct messaging type behavior that, you know, we don't want, we want everything out in public. If you want to have a conversation with someone, let's have that in public. Don't use the group or the group mechanism or because you share permissions by being in the group to start DMing people. Um, You know, let's get it all out there in the open support robust debate. And I, I'm always on the side of uh, uh, supporting robust debate in my view. Uh, so okay. I, try not to, I try not to interfere when, you know, people have, uh, have, have strongly stated a position. Um, uh, but at the same time, um, uh, the, uh, the, you have to remind people always to be respectful. And the idea is when you do commentate, you need to do it with the view that uh, people might disagree. Um, so, in other words, if you don't don't even post it if you're not willing to tolerate someone who might have a different opinion, um, because therefore you're not having a discussion. Remember, that's the purpose of of the group is to have a discussion. Um, if you're posting an intolerant of alternative views, it basically means you're simply uh, evangelizing um, or you're preaching. Um, which you know, yeah. there's other groups that can preach, not on this group. Um, this group is like for discussion. So part of discussion is to be able to state the case and then have other people come in and contribute supporting or not, or possibly rebutting it. Um, but you have to be prepared to do that. So those are the bare rules. And in order to do this, by the way, folks, people might think about this in a practical way. Like how do we, how do we do this? Your onboarding is like massively critical. Um, so how you onboard people um, is the probably the only time when you're going to be able to uh, communicate those rules to them effectively um, and to make them understand that this is how it needs to be. Um, so yeah, obviously, so- yeah, sorry. So there's a gate at the top, at the front, so not everyone gets in. Um, so every community has a gate, unfortunately, but that's the truth of community building. Um, it's as much, it, the community is built on the barrier. Um, so uh, people need to f- complete a questionnaire before they come in. Questionnaire is very simple. Um, it is about these rules um, and it is about, do you agree to those rules? So you've got to get them to commit to agreeing to those rules. If they don't, then they sit in the queue until they agree or they decide to disappear. Um, so again, hard rule, right? Um, there's friends that have not completed the questionnaire. They're not in the group. Um, it's like, no, fill in the damn questionnaire. <laughs> universal, know? universal. Universal application. 
Um, but it means that at least they've accepted some conditions to the participation of the community. Um, and once they're in, that's when you've got the chance to basically uh, give them a quick update to say, you know what, thanks for being part of the group. Here's some, some rules you've got to just bear in mind. It's very well open. This is the purpose of the group. Again, reiterate that and then get them on their way. And ideally, I haven't done this recently as much as I should, but ideally you then want to get them to contribute almost immediately upon start. Um, so the, that contribution might be, hey, maybe you want to post something, just say hello. Um, and to, uh, An introduction. Yeah. Um, because getting started is always the most difficult thing. And I'm sure, I'm sure people will be thinking, how can I get more activity or engagement in the community? Um, because too often we get a community that ends up starting on fire, then it dies down and engagement levels trend down before you know it, it's completely you know, dead. Like how do you restart that? Very difficult. One of the most important things is when you onboard new people, get them started straight away by making them contribute or encouraging them to contribute in some way. Yeah, that's really, really great. And I definitely see how a community that is focused on discussion and support is very much, it requires that commitment at the start, right? That I guess that's what makes a community above all else, people being committed to actually doing something, engaging in a way. Um, yeah, to... to to achieve that end goal essentially so let me ask you about then how recruiting brain food generates revenue how have you gone about deciding that model okay so again no plan right um but this has now become like a super uh, viable business um and and so Basically, it started purely as an accident. Um, uh, someone just insisted on on trying to sponsor the newsletter. Um, I remember him very well. Glenn, thank you very much for sending me on the journey. Um, but he basically said, oh, I want to sponsor the newsletter. And I said to him at the time, it's like not, uh, it didn't even occur to me this is a potential business, right? Um, I just said, no, uh, we don't take sponsors. This is not how it works. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a free service. Um, but he kept on insisting and eventually I said, okay, fine, we'll create a spot in the newsletter and you can say this is the sponsored thing. Um, I hit, I just threw a number at him. This is how much it costs. And he said, okay, fine, no worries. Um, and he paid it. And I straight away, I thought, wow, that was too cheap. Um, and ne next time, <laughs> ne next time I need to double it, uh, which I did. The next time, because as soon as someone saw there was a sponsored thing, like suddenly I got flooded with other companies saying, yeah, I want a sponsor as well. Then I doubled it and they paid it. That was too cheap. And then I kept on doubling it until the point where, okay, uh, now we're at the point where you can still convert the, the convert it real quick, um, but you can always have high demand. So how Brain Food is, is commercialized right now is that it's entirely sponsor-driven newsletter, different ways you can do it. You can do it by subscriptions. You can do it through the platform being paying you in some way. Um, you can do it. I, I do it through sponsors, through very similar reasons. I mentioned Tim Ferriss before, actually. I do it for very similar reasons that Ferriss does it through sponsors. Um, and that's because uh, what I didn't want to do with the uh, subscription tier is that you typically need to do it as a, a two-tier model. You create a paid and a non-paid model, right? Um, yes. Straight away, I think that creates basically a bit of elitism. Um, and inevitably you create a caste system 
um, where you know the paying customers get the the best stuff, obviously, um, and everyone else doesn't. And now it's just conscious of the fact that this is meant to be a global service, a global community. Um, and whilst you may be charging, you know, five dollars, ten dollars a month in this thing, um, and not much for people in uh, richer economies, but maybe quite significant for people in less rich circumstances. And there's no way to really vary the pricing on that or indeed police it if you wanted to do it that way. So, uh, so yeah, it's stayed as a sponsor-driven uh, uh, product uh, and community. Yeah, I guess that's a very interesting perspective in terms of, again, the purpose of the, of the community providing such value for people in the talent space whereas for other you know communities the paid aspect is kind of that barrier to entry in terms of like okay cool you might have a commitment to specific rules and paying depending on who you're trying to attract into that community is also one of the ways it's totally based on purpose and it's totally Mm -hmm. based on um sort of the uh, almost the the audience as well like there's there's a lot of newsletters for instance morning brew I, i think something like value like 75 million dollars or something um the the only way you could do that is through a subscription play um so i think a lot of people who are thinking of building a community first business like off the community you probably need to experiment with some sort of subscription model um but for me remember this was never the main thing it was like okay i'm going to do this this way um and it just turns out that the demand on the sponsor side is strong enough um, for it to be like a more than viable way to do it. Um, and, and and I'll probably persist with this model um, uh, for as long as I can uh, and for as long as that the, 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 it's sustainable with regards to uh, these sponsors coming in. Amazing. So what's next for the recruiting brain food community? I don't know. Um, I mean, <laughs> I think... Uh, the lack of strategy is precious. Um, uh, it's just, but you know what? I, I tend to value the lack of strategy sometimes because you can over strategize this thing. Um, what is true about community is that it's a lot more organic than it is something that can be tightly planned. So in other words, you're, you're almost cultivating it rather than designing it. Um, and you can put some constraints in this in this garden, let's say, um, uh, you know, you can you can plant the certain things in a certain arrangement. You can fence it off. You can do various things, but those plants are going to grow the way they're going to grow, uh, depending on the wider conditions that are out there. So obviously, the world's yeah. been really chaotic over the last 12, 18 months or so. Probably going to be continue. I think the next decade is going to be super chaotic, right? Um, so I believe that the the value optimism. Well, you can be optimistic with the chaos as well, I think, you know, but I think it goes either way. I think it's not neither utopian or dystopian, but I think the future is in play um, and we need to do everything we can to to realize um, a more utopian step rather than a dystopian step because we can fall off the edge any time. Um, now, I do believe that having a strong community and a highly networked, highly connected bunch of people is fundamentally going to be helpful towards a more utopian world. Um, most people who go off the rails, in my view, end up, uh, are individuals that are disconnected in some way um, or they don't have access to enough variety of perspective. Um, uh, you know, they, 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 they're somehow isolated in some context. Um, and I see it as a mission, look, 
I'm just going to try and stitch these people together as much as I can, create these spaces where they can encounter each other, sometimes, you know, different opinions and sometimes different views or whatnot. That's fundamentally a good thing um, because once we're able to handle, uh, uh, you know, different ideas without exploding, that's the only way in which we're going to step forward as a global community. So I think that um, the requirement for networking, for network building, um, audience building, community building, uh, connectivity generally is going to just accelerate. Um, so uh, what BrainFood's got to do is simply continue to provide a valued service along that trend. Brilliant. I completely agree. And all communities, yeah, really need to think about that. And I think also take the time to say, okay, this is my audience and this is my community. They don't have to be the same thing and they can definitely be split out to allow for different needs to be served. There's nothing wrong with an audience at all. It's just about knowing what, who to activate when and how. I think the, um, you know, one of the things that is true about community is that you've got to be like in, in it as well. Um, you know, you've got to really be passionate on it, which leads me to think that, you know, it's going to be difficult for, there's going to be some talented people that are able to hop from different communities to different spots um, because th their passion may in fact be community building uh, irrespective of audience or topic. Right. Um, and I think that's an emerging space, but for amateurs like me, like I don't think I could do this in any other group other than, you know, the, the, the space I'm in, um, which is a, a weakness in the sense there's no portability, um, but it's also a strength in the sense that I don't fear any external competitor stepping in um, and doing a better job, quote unquote. Um, you know, a professional marketer is a, a lot weaker than an amateur enthusiast in community building. Mm. Yeah, that's a really very valid point because community building, like you were saying about, I guess, gardening as well, it takes time to cultivate. And if there's no enthusiasm, then the patience may not last. Intrinsic motivation, precious. It's the you, if you're not passionate about it, you basically your motivation will decline. Um, especially, you know, you, people aren't paid huge amounts of money. I ain't paid it. You know, literally, it's a free thing. So um, it's it's one of the uh, hustle the money out in, in a different way. But you know, no one was paying me to do this for 18 months. So that is not sustainable um, for someone who isn't passionate on this topic. So one of the messages I think uh, I have for people who are community building or thinking of doing it is that you just generally got to be true uh, to your own intrinsic motivation on it um, because it probably isn't a viable approach if you if it is not in, if, if you if you were to do it with zero ROI would you still do it um, you know that's the question um, if the question is no you wouldn't then chances are the in that community will fail because um, someone else will do it because they do have that intrinsic motivation and they'll beat you because they'll have a better product. Um, so it's one of those where um, you've got to identify people that have this passion and motivation to do this thing. Um, if it's not you, then you need to get them on board as, as someone in, in your in your team, perhaps, uh, to, to, to run it. Yeah, that's a really great point also for people looking to recruit community professionals they really have to be able to assess how deeply this person cares. Do you know what? I think there's people out there, I've just been now reminded of a friend of mine who's now moved to her third community job in this space. And I know that she is like premium, premium person now. 
um, uh, because she has not built communities in not one, not two, but three different places that each became thriving uh, communities and you know the organization that was underpinning all of that has now got access to this um, enormous audience of you know go back to sales like super warm leads now um, uh, you know inevitably that's going to like supercharge her ability to commercialize but she is like now known by name and I think that yeah she could be a very she I'm sure already is a super uh, uh, successful professional doing this thing um, to establish that. So that may then emerge as, a, as an interesting career path for some people, I think. Yeah, I mean, can I get her on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. She, she's a lady called Sharon Pritchard. Um, she's in the US, though, so you might have to um, switch it up in terms of the... in the afternoon. Yep, totally cool. Um, I, I, I have no problem uh, connecting you to She'd Be Awesome on the show. Um, and yeah, I think one of the few that has literally professionalized what she did as a passion. Um, and I think now is like a premium high. If you get her on board you, you, and you're a vendor in this space, you're going to be like already massive competitive advantage, very, very like a serious strategic ch- challenge to your competitors if, you, if she's on your side. Yeah, well, as they say, community really is every business's competitive advantage, even if the world is only just waking up to it now. Well, thank you so much, Han. Before I ask my final question, let me just ask for the audience, where can people find you? Um, so I'm basically everywhere online. Um, so you just need to Google Hung Lee. I think I'm the first uh, one of those folks that shows up. Um, but subscribe to the newsletter if you care about um, you know talent and HR and, and culture and stuff like that. Uh, Recruitingbrainfood.com probably the best place to, uh, to to get that update. And I respond to emails to people I've subscribed on there, so that's probably the best way to do it. Awesome, thanks so much. And then, so the final question for you is, of course, if you were starting the recruiting brain food community from scratch today, what platform would you start with? Oh, wow. Super interesting. You know what? I don't know. So I started off as a newsletter on a protocol review, uh, which was bought by Twitter recently, actually, um, which I probably would still do that simply because of the uh, cost of creation or the cost of curation was quite low using review. So again, you need to think about what kind of thing you're doing and then how much capacity you've got to do it. Um, Those two things I think are rarely thought about. Um, like how much time do you have to actually do this? Um, and what is the nature of your, uh, uh, your initial service? So for folks who don't know, basically Recruiting Brain Food is a curated newsletter. So I'm not doing any original writing. I'm curating good stuff that I find from uh, the wider world that maybe other people won't find. So non-mainstream stuff that I think is, yeah, you need to know about this. Um, and uh, basically, in order to do that, you need like a bookmarking service or some a clipper, um, you know, and review had the best clipper. So Substack doesn't have that. Uh, MailChimp doesn't have that. But if you're doing original writing, maybe I would have started there. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. And thank you so much for joining me on the, today's episode. I hope that many of our uh, audience will be able to subscribe to your newsletter And yeah, we look forward to to seeing Recruiting Brain Food grow. Thank you very much, Precious. It's been great uh, speaking with you.